millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast. Every week, this podcast will bring you a slice of current affairs you might find engaging and informative. We look at the big stories of the week. And we also hope to delve into some of the off-agenda stories that we featured in the Irish Examiner and our unique interpretation of those stories. Now this week we heard the latest figures from the Health Research Board about the growing increase in demand for drug treatment services. There's been a particular hike in numbers seeking treatment for the abuse of cocaine, but the demand is there for all illegal and some prescription drugs, including opiates and so-called soft drugs like cannabis. So do we have a major drug problem in this country? And if so, what is driving it? In search of some answers to that, I spoke to Michael Gearn, Senior Therapist with the Coonwira Addiction Treatment Group. Michael is based in the group's centre in Brewery, County Limerick. And I started by asking him about the facility. Coonwira Brewery is synonymous, I suppose, with drug and alcohol addiction treatment. A lot of people would know of it. Um, it's, it's out in the country. It's a nice, remote, quiet location. Um, and it houses about 140 residents on average. So in terms of bed nights, you're talking about 50,000 nights per annum are delivered in Coonvera Brewery to men and women who would be suffering with issues like alcohol dependence, drug dependence or gambling dependence. And what would your typical resident, what, what issues would they present with here? I mean, it varies greatly. You would have somebody, you could have from 18 years of old age upwards, we get a lot of young people here with drug problems. Um, we get a lot of clients here with alcohol dependence and gambling dependences are both. Um, and they tend to be an older clientele. They tend to present in their 40s and 50s, sometimes 60s and 70s. Um, and then we get some people, we sometimes get individuals with prescription medication dependence. It's it's not gender specific per se, but it's it's far more common amongst women than men. Okay, and you're a senior therapist here. You've worked here for the last 15 years or so, Michael. What differences do you see today compared to when you began working here in terms of the type of problems that people come in with and uh, the age profile as well of those people? Well, when I came here 15 years ago, there was still about 140 people here at that time. There may have been a few less. We've probably added a few beds in the, in the intervening years. Um, but the majority of the clientele at that time were alcohol-dependent men and alcohol-dependent women. And you had this minority of, of clients in treatment at that time, maybe 10 to 15, um, and they were referred to as drug addicts by the other residents because they were seen as somewhat different to the alcohol-dependent clients. Incidentally, Coonvera Brewery has been treating drug dependence back since the early 1990s, um, and we were treating people from poorer areas of Dublin, let's put it that way, back in the early 1990s when people were dying like flies in Ireland because of bloodborne diseases and dirty needles and that kind of thing. And some of the people that were here in the early 1990s are clean to this day and still call back to see us. In those days, 
to a large extent, you'd have been talking about people from disadvantaged areas of Dublin rather than anywhere else in the States. Yeah, you were absolutely talking in the late 80s, early 90s, heroin was a Dublin problem. There's no question about it. And it was endemic in areas of Dublin where there was poor education and high unemployment. So what we would refer to as socioeconomic disadvantage. Um, gradually, of course, it has spread out now to, to be everywhere. And we'll probably get back to that in a minute. Um, but going back to 15 years ago when I came here, drug addiction was in the minority. Alcoholism was the overwhelming majority of the clientele that we were having. And of those alcohol-dependent people, they were dependent on alcohol alone. So there was no very little cross-addiction, very little polysubstance, very little comorbid addictions. You might see an alcohol-dependent man maybe with a gambling problem as well. Now, that has changed in that the clientele these days, and at least the majority of the clientele that are seeking treatment, are what are referred to in the field as polysubstance misusers. And I'm talking about people who are abusing three or maybe four substances at the one time. So from the point of view of detox and stabilisation in medical care, when they come into treatment immediately having stopped using, it's a far more complex situation these days because it's not like the old days where we could simply give a Librium detox to an alcohol-dependent person. Um, they're higher risk um, and they're high, at higher risk, I suppose, of having an undesirable side effect of withdrawing. So they take a lot of care, they take a lot of minding. We have to keep them under very close observation for the first week or two um, that they come in here. And we are very lucky to have a very, very good in-house doctor and a very good nursing team to take care of them. And in terms of age profile and the type of locations, I mean, you're located here between Limerick and Cork City. Um, is this still a city problem in disadvantaged areas of cities? And what about the age profile of the people that are coming in this way? No, it's not a city problem at all. It used to be. Drugs was all about city locations and poorer city locations. It has now infiltrated every town, village, parish, countryside and everything else in Ireland. And they're coming from literally everywhere. Um, and the numbers are absolutely scary at the moment. Um, and at the moment we have somewhere between 250 and 300 people waiting to access six inpatient drug detox beds for men. That, 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 no, just to be clear on that so people understand, th these, are, these are 200, 250 people whose condition is such that they require to be detoxed and you only have six beds to deal with that. Correct. These are 250 people who are to all intents and purposes in free fall because of drug dependence. And they are in all sorts of trouble and it wouldn't be too much to say that they are probably in the time that they are waiting to access a bed, putting their lives in danger because of drug dependence and drug abuse. That's a pretty serious situation. And age profile, might you? Well, I mean, we, we only treat over 18s in brewery because we are an adult service. Um, there is one underage service in this country that's residential um, in County Kilkenny, and I'd imagine they are similarly oversubscribed. Um, so we only treat over 18s, but like our clientele would be regularly under 25. Regularly. And I mean, it's, we have young lads at the moment, 20, 22 years old, who have been actively abusing drugs for five years plus. So in your opinion, is that a reflection of what's out there? And what I'm trying to say is, um, if you have an increased number of people coming in here, an increased demand, and if they're problems vary across a number of different substances is that a reflection that at a different level a less serious level 
there's a huge amount of that drug abuse going on right across society, right across demographics and, and uh, geographic areas. There is. There's a huge amount of what they refer to as recreational use going on. Um, and I suppose the problem we have in Ireland is that we talk about, we, we, we look at things as being two halves. We look at alcohol consumption as being either alcoholic alcohol consumption or responsible alcohol consumption. And we look at drug taking as being addictive drug abuse or recreational use. And there's probably a very big grey area in the middle um, that applies to binge drinkers um, and that applies to people that use drugs regularly but may not necessarily consider themselves to be addicts. I mean, is that a reflection of a societal tolerance for, for abuse of that kind? It is, yeah. There's, there's a very, very high societal tolerance of intoxication, for one. Um, and there is an extremely high tolerance of cocaine dependence. Um, and there is an extremely high tolerance of cannabis consumption. And there's quite a number of people in Ireland that would tell you that cannabis is a relatively innocuous, harmless substance. Um, I can tell you one thing, if they came and meet the people with cannabis problems that end up in brewery occasionally, they might think again. And the other thing there is that divide, I think it's a, well, personally, I think it's a bit of a false divide between abuse of alcohol and abuse of what are effectively illegal drugs or prescription drugs. There's always been this perception that... Uh, Alcohol, well, as you said, you're either an alcoholic or else things are all right, but drugs are on a different plane altogether. Yeah, I suppose we lose sight of that a lot of the time. I mean, if you look at the cold, hard, health-based economic evidence around drug and alcohol-related issues in Ireland in 2019, you will see quite clearly that in terms of the amount of harm it causes, alcohol outstrips all the others put together by a mile um, and we're spending in excess of 1.5 billion per annum as an economy every year in treating alcohol related illnesses so alcohol causes more problems even though drugs are bad and I, I suppose we get into in a minute about talking about the difference between regulated and unregulated substance but there is a movement of people out there at the moment that feel that we should become very extreme in our attitude towards illicit drugs and legalise, regulate and tax and that if we legalised and regulated what are no illicit substances and tax them the money that would come in from the tax would pay for financing the problems associated with them and you would have quality assurance and so on for anybody that thinks that is the right way to go all they need to do is stop and look at the relationship we have with the one substance that is legalised, taxed and regulated because our relationship with alcohol as a nation is atrocious so in your opinion, and you're right, there, there is a certain constituency now that are suggesting there should be some form of legalisation of drugs. Would you be opposed to that on the basis of your experience of dealing with the fallout? Or are there pluses? Another area, of course, is the criminal justice area. Would it mean, for example, that you might have less issues arising uh, in terms of people breaking the law? We might just talk about decriminalisation first, Mick, if you don't mind. There was a, uh, an expert group set up about 18 months ago to report back to the Minister for Justice in terms of potential ways in which we could decriminalise drug possession in Ireland. And when that report was published, um, the chairman of the group, um, the retired judge, Mr Justice Garrett Sheehan, made the comment in his report that he said decriminalisation of drugs in this country would be effectively throwing in the toll on a generation of young people. And I agree wholeheartedly. Um, there is a certain 
I, I absolutely get the fact that, that people with drug problems need to be treated as people with illnesses um, rather than be punitively dealt with through the courts. And there is absolutely no doubt that that is the right way to go. But at the same time, there is also undoubtedly the case that any move towards decriminalisation will have almost a subliminal message of normalisation going along with it. Um, and I suppose I get concerned when I hear things like that we are going to test MDMA at the taxpayers' expense at concerts and music festivals to make sure that nobody dies as a result of taking it. And not that I, our sympathies go out to anybody who, is, who has lost somebody as a result of an accidental overdose um, in a recreational setting. But there is no question about it that if there's MDMA going around at the electric picnic that has been tested by the HSE and declared to be contaminant-free, there's no doubt that the people that might be 50-50 about taking it will be more likely to do it as a result of that quality assurance than not. That's, that's, that, that's a good point. And what do you say, Michael, to people who would say, yes, what you're saying makes sense on one level, but as you say yourself, there's an increased amount of recreational drug use and... The, the those who get into trouble are a minority. Some would suggest a small minority of those who actually take drugs and therefore it would suit the majority if you had a scenario whereby they felt they weren't breaking the law in using uh, drugs. Look, the substance that everybody is talking about when they start talking about decriminalisation is cannabis. There's no question about that. There's, I don't think there's any suggestion that we should decriminalise crack cocaine or crystal meth or heroin I think everybody is talking about cannabis and everybody cites the 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 evidence or I suppose the, the perceived evidence that cannabis is a less addictive less harmful substance than alcohol so therefore it should be legalized or decriminalized at least um, and just because something is less harmful or less addictive than something that's causing untold problems for an awful lot of people throughout the country that of itself isn't a good argument enough, in my view, to decriminalise it. Um, and I think the THC contents in cannabis has like doubled in the, in the past 20 years because they're getting very good at growing it and because of plant hybridisation and them kind of things. So cannabis is a far more potent substance now than it was 20 years ago. And people who abuse cannabis for a long period of time at high levels it plays absolute hell with their mental health. And there are individuals in inpatient psychiatric services all over Ireland today who are suffering from a condition called paranoid schizophrenia. And that paranoid schizophrenia has been precipitated by the long-term heavy use of cannabis. And it's incurable. So it's all right on the one hand to say that like, cannabis is a relatively harmless drug and that people can take it without consequence. That isn't always necessarily the case. Right, and two other drugs, just while we're on specific drugs, just to touch on. Heroin and cannabis. Heroin, as I mentioned before, traditionally was seen as something that was in disadvantaged areas of the cities, particularly Dublin. And cocaine, the other drug. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but at the height of the Celtic Tiger, there was a lot of uh, um, publicity or whatever about cocaine. There was an issue to a couple of high-profile cases where people died in cocaine-related issues. I had the impression, maybe very false that at the height of the Celtic Tiger, there was that cocaine was a hugely prevalent drug. Is it as prevalent today? 
The interesting thing about cocaine is that cocaine in every developed country in the world, its consumption more or less tracks economic activity. So if times are good, you see cocaine consumption going up. And then when times get poorer, as is what happens in your kind of boom-bust economic cycle, um, cocaine consumption falls. We had a very high incidence of cocaine consumption during the Celtic Tiger, which dropped off during the bad years, 29, 2010, 2012 in that way. And then our fortunes started to improve, but nobody could have predicted, I think, the ferocity with which cocaine again took a hold when the fortunes of this country, um, when the tide rose a little bit back in 2013, 2014, when things got better. Um, cocaine is everywhere. And whatever perception, Michael, again, it could be a very out of date and false perception that cocaine is the drug of choice among uh, so-called young professionals, bankers, people like that, as well as perhaps elements in the arts world. And that uh, it would be in those constituencies, but you wouldn't find it in the average farmer or the lad down there playing, playing a bit of football in the local club or anything. I was in a very small town in West Limerick last weekend. And somebody remarked to me that, that, that one of the pubs in the town is affectionately being referred to as the White House now because they claim there's so much cocaine being taken inside. Them. So cocaine is everywhere. And cocaine, again, is another drug that has crossed this whole urban-rural divide whereby we saw cities in particular being a hotbed of drug-taking activity and it happened to a far lesser degree out in the countryside. You're as likely now to be a sheep farmer from West Cork or West Clare abusing cocaine as you are to be a university graduate with a good job on the south side of Dublin City, even though there still is a very cool image associated with cocaine taking. But one of the things we're becoming very aware of now is that youngsters start off and at like 12, 13, 14 years of age, they may be introduced to cannabis. The very people who introduce them to cannabis then go ahead and introduce them to cocaine. So I heard a young guy recently who was here from Dublin. He was 21 years of age and he was describing to us that the person when he was 13, 14 years old who supplied him with his cannabis used to dip a key into a bag of cocaine and give him a sniff off the end of the key um, when he'd come to get his cannabis in order, of course, to get him taking cocaine. Now, if you get somebody of that age with no financial means whatsoever to take cocaine for you and get into it, they're going to run into debt. And what you do with them then when they run into debt is you get them to become a distributor for you. What about heroin? Heroin is, look, there was a time we used to consider heroin was something that happened in areas that were poor um, amongst underprivileged people. And I mean that in the nicest way possible and that it was end-stage drug addiction where people were going around injecting themselves with heroin. Heroin has also, not only has it crossed the urban-rural divide, it's no longer a drug of the poor, if you understand what I mean. And going back to what we were talking about there earlier on, about the whole theory of polysubstance misuse, um, heroin used to be seen as a drug apart. It used to be seen as the worst. Now heroin has kind of been assumed into this whole polysubstance milieu. So you will see people turning up regularly in treatment now who are smoking heroin, smoking cannabis, snorting cocaine, taking a few Valium and probably drinking as well. My God. And the other thing that would strike me, I, I, I'm suggesting, Michael, perhaps 
that an awful lot of what you, you're describing in terms of a huge amount of increased drug use, particularly recreational use, comes with effectively being a wealthy country. And I'm just wondering, in terms of other countries, is it your belief that we're pre, we're, this country is more predisposed towards producing far more people who get into trouble with drugs and alcohol than others, notwithstanding we're now a wealthy country, unlike... Um, type of profile we had here maybe 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, we're probably, look, if you historically look back at our relationship with alcohol, um, back in the days when there were no drugs, and I mean that in a nice way because there were drugs, but they weren't in Ireland to any great degree. They certainly weren't outside cities. Um, We had a very poor relationship with alcohol. We always had a very high per capita alcohol consumption, and we always had a very high rate of alcohol dependence amongst the small population. So I suppose that predisposition towards the abuse of substances has now translated from simple alcoholism, if there is such a thing, into the abuse of these myriad of substances that we are seeing today. The other thing that has become very prevalent in the past number of years and that we've become very aware of is that we have seen the deaths, sadly, of a number of young people And we believe these deaths have occurred because these people had engaged in one-off uses recreationally of substances. So in other words, these people weren't drug addicts, in inverted commas. Um, And we always associated drug-related deaths with people who were addicted. These were ordinary, everyday young people who were offered something at an event or a party thought it was one thing it ended up being something else and it very very sadly killed them so i suppose our concern going forward is that there are young people who are not necessarily addicted may not necessarily be predisposed to becoming addicted but because it appears to be the cool and in thing to do will take a tablet or a powder that is giving to given to them at a party and it could very conceivably and easily kill them and again, as you say, touching on that theme again, that there is such a huge amount of recreational drug use out there. Is it possible that people who are, are using drugs recreationally, that they can avoid falling into the, into the trap of addiction or dependence? Or are there, are there predisposed conditions that will inevitably mean a greater number of people will, become, will develop problems one way or the other? Well, there are certain predisposing factors that renders one more statistically likely to become addicted to something than not. Um, A simple example of that would be if somebody is born of an alcoholic parent or parents, their statistical likelihood of becoming alcoholic within their own lifetime is far higher than somebody who would not be born into such a situation. And there are a multitude of factors. I mean, there are people who were bullied, there are people who were abused, there are people who had learning disabilities... There are people who didn't fit in in school for one way or the other, were shy, had social anxiety and so on and so forth, and we could go on all day about those predisposing factors. They're not necessarily of themselves reasons, though, as to why somebody developed the problem. I think the one thing that people need to be very, very careful of is that if you find yourself using a substance to in any way cope with a life situation... And it doesn't necessarily need to be constantly. It may even be sporadically. If somebody finds themselves on a Friday lunchtime that they've had a hard week at work and that they're looking forward to going to the pub on a Friday night because when they consume the alcohol that they get in the pub, they'll be able to forget about the work-related hassle that has been going on for the previous five days. Things like that are concerning. 
So I suppose anybody that will use a substance to cope with issues or problems or challenges that they are having in life needs to be very, very aware or very, very in tune with the fact that they could develop a problem very, very quickly. And I suppose as well, in terms of the environment, one could have, say, predisposed uh, factors that if, for example, there wasn't a lot of cocaine around, a lot of alcohol, if it wasn't part of the culture, they, could, they, they may end up being able to deal with anything that comes out of those factors without resorting to it. That the environment, if, if, if this stuff is all over the place, are you more likely then to resort to one of these substances to deal with whatever issue you might have? Yeah, you are more likely to resort to it um, to avoid dealing with certain situations if there's a high degree of supply, which we absolutely have. But you are far more likely to resort to it to deal with problems that you may have if you are living in a culture of excess. And that's the sad part about all this at this stage, that we are living in a culture where we are absolutely excessive in terms of our alcohol consumption. And we are absolutely accepting of recreational drug use coexisting with binge drinking. So like if you're living in a situation whereby people see this behaviour as being acceptable, it absolutely will lead to a higher incidence of people developing addictions because the very thing that they're doing that kickstarts the addiction isn't frowned upon by anybody. Right, and you're in charge of the country. You have all the resources you want at your disposal. Your first priority is to not necessarily just for one second not to treat those who've already fallen into problem, but to prevent the current young generation, future generations from doing so. What would you do? Well, I suppose they wouldn't put me in charge of the country anyway. <laughs> so if, they, if they maybe gave me charge of something to do with drug and alcohol um, policy, that'd be enough to probably be all I'd be able to handle. Um, I think we need to put a big effort into education and prevention. And I think any education and prevention strategy or initiative that we have had thus far in this country has fallen way short of what's required. I think such intervention needs to take place in the junior cycle of primary school. Sorry, just to interrupt you there. There's a, there has been a focus on education, but it has been more on the senior cycle, I think. Yeah, there has been a focus on the senior cycle and there has been a focus on university students. And anybody that's going to develop a drug dependence, you can be absolutely sure by the time they get to the senior cycle or third level, the ship has already sailed. So there's no point trying to educate somebody about the dangers of drugs if they're well on their way to becoming dependent on them or well on their way to becoming alcoholic. Um, so I think we need a robust system of education and prevention and I don't think necessarily that it needs to be delivered by teachers. And I think the current initiative that's there, the whole theory is that we beef up the current SPHE programme in secondary schools and that we would educate children in that way as to the dangers of drugs and the dangers of becoming addicted. I don't think that's sufficient. I think that specialised individuals need to go into schools and to deal with young people in the same way that I would not be qualified to go in and teach or educate a class of children. I don't think teachers should be expected to go in and deliver this specialist education that needs deliverance on drug and alcohol awareness and indeed in the whole area of general mental well-being. And is there a political will to do that, do you think? I mean, I don't know. Um, We're spending €28 million a year on the 
national drug strategy every year. Is that enough? No, absolutely not. You could probably put a zero on to the end of it, but that's not going to happen um, today or tomorrow. And I think in the meantime, we need to look at that €28 million euro, and we need to look at the, the, the projects that are not giving value for money and we need to look at the programmes that are not performing. And I think that money needs to be rerouted probably into both ends of the problem. I think money needs to be sent in a very strong way towards education and prevention. And I think that money needs to be underpinned by the Department of Education and a contribution from them. And I think on the other end, for the people that are needing care that are currently addicted, I think a lot of money needs to be put into polysubstance detox. I think that's one of the big things. And I think this money that would go towards funding that needs to be backed up by something like the Department of Justice. Um, because yeah, the, sorry, the, just the impact of drugs on, on the criminal justice system. Yeah, I mean, we're spending over £250 million per annum um, trying and prosecuting drug-related offences, or at least we were before the law changed um, about the, the drug possession charges. Now, for that 250 to 300 million per annum, for every one dealer that was going to court, there were four people being charged with possession offences. So end users were being prosecuted at a rate of four to one in comparison to suppliers. And they were being sent to prison in some cases. And in all our experience, we are being told by people who have done prison sentences that have subsequently ended up in treatment that they went into treatment, or they went into prison rather, with a drug problem and came out with a worse drug problem. So about the worst thing you could do to somebody with a substance misuse issue is send them to prison because you can be absolutely sure it's going to exacerbate the problem. Tell me, Michael, yourself, how did you end up here as a therapist? I, I, I came in the back door. I ended up here with an alcohol problem myself, having been in treatment in a number of occasions in other places. Um, and there was nothing wrong with the other places that I was in, apart from the fact that I wasn't prepared to listen. So I suppose I stopped drinking here myself and because of my own journey and because um, I'm in recovery from alcoholism, I developed an interest in the whole area of recovery and addiction rehabilitation and that kind of thing. And I suppose when I got into it, then I developed an interest in drug misuse as opposed to alcohol misuse or gambling addiction. Um, and I think there are nuances with every particular presenting addiction. Um, and I think we need to, in terms of interventions, we need to be looking at specialists within the field of counselling dealing specifically with certain presenting problems. In other words, that there would be specialists for gambling, that there would be specialists for alcohol abuse, and that there would be specialists in terms of illicit and prescription medication abuse. And you mentioned your own history, and I just wonder, for, for instance, from your vantage, if you were to look at somebody who, or as they say, to look at your younger self, if you go back 20 years and whatever uh, disposition had you, that you ended up with an alcohol problem, an individual today in your shoes, is he faced with far more challenges in terms of, of, of poly addiction, for instance? Well, look, I mean, I grew up in an era... I'm, I'm just the right side of 50 years of age. And I grew up in an era and I grew up in a community and I grew up in a part of the country where there were no drugs available. Um, I have no doubt that when I was in my early 20s, if the pubs had been serving cocaine and cannabis over the counter, I would be as apt to be addicted to them as I was to be addicted to alcohol. 
I just happened to grow up in a rural part of Ireland where I was relatively safe from drugs. Um, but I suppose the big issue from my point of view, looking back with hindsight, is that people become addicted and they are blissfully unaware of the fact that they are becoming addicted at the time it's happening. And by the time that they realise that there is something wrong, they have waded out too deep in the water of their own accord to be able to come ashore without assistance. Um, Just on that point, is there more awareness of addiction today to the extent that that, that journey, as you say, that, that you, you go so far and you're not aware of it and even those around you perhaps aren't, is there more awareness of that today or is it much the same in that regard? I don't think there's necessarily more awareness. And I don't think the general public, by and large, have any concept of how easily and how quickly one can become dependent on a substance if the stars are aligned correctly at a time. So if you get somebody who is in trouble, not necessarily in very big trouble, but if you get somebody who is struggling with life in general and they're having a hard time of it and you throw a substance into that mix at that time, I mean, magic happens and addictions can be established in days to weeks. I mean, absolutely. Nobody can absolutely say when somebody crosses the line from, say, heavy drinking into active alcoholism. But it can happen very, very easily and almost imperceptibly. And it can happen to anyone at any age. And it is certainly no respecter of the social and economic and financial classes for want of a better word that we see one other thing some people would suggest that younger people today don't have the same capacity they have it a hell of a lot harder i think than perhaps you and my generation i'd suggest in an awful lot of ways but people suggest perhaps they don't have the capacity to cope the way past generations did is that again something that can feed into the potential for getting into trouble with substances it does and i think not only do our young people not have the coping skills and the emotional reserves or resources that the generations that came before us have in terms of dealing with life not necessarily adverse life events but the ups and downs of life on a daily basis i think our current adult young adult generation don't have the emotional resources um to deal with these problems because if our reliance on medications to treat relatively minor mental health issues or anything to go by we certainly don't because the prescribing rates for these things over the past decades are up three four and five hundred percent on every class of medication on anti-anxieties on antipsychotics, and on antidepressants and the only reason that that's happening is that people are choosing to go to the doctor and seek a pharmaceutical solution to their problem rather than attempting to work through it to some other means. So I believe that the doctor and the pharmacy has become the first port of call for somebody who necessarily is finding life difficult in some way. Because we're not talking about people here with big, life-changing, serious psychiatric disorders here. We're talking about generalised anxiety, mild anxiety, mild depression and so on. And rather than working through them through some other means, they tend to be going to doctors with an expectation that that doctor will give them a prescription for some pill that will alleviate their symptoms. One final thing, Michael. Your line of work, what you do here in Coonwara and, and treatment in general, effectively, you're putting lives back together. 
there must be a satisfaction in that. You mentioned yourself even about people coming back to you years later. Yeah, I said, look, I mean, I'm always of the view that people who come in here and get well are responsible for their own recovery. And I suppose all that we do is we provide the environment where the client can rebuild his own life. Um, and we provide that safe haven where he or she can come to terms with whatever is going on for them. Um, but it is nice and it is nice to see people getting well and it's nice to see children getting back parents. It's nice to see parents getting back sons and daughters. It's nice to see husbands and wives getting back husbands and wives and partners and that kind of thing. And it's nice to see people fulfilling their potential because every, almost, I won't say almost every, every active drug addict that's out there today doesn't want to be an active drug addict. There's nobody out there today using drugs problematically that's set out to be in this situation or that wants to continue in this situation and the vast majority of them do not believe that they have the ability or resources within themselves to quit. And I suppose it's our job to create the environment where they can recognise that potential to do good for themselves and others in a place like Coonville Michael Gearn, thank you very much. That's it for today, folks. I'd like to thank producer Declan Conlon and JJ Vernon on sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford.examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. See you again soon.